Welcome to the Alcohol Rethink Podcast with me, your host, Patrick Fox. This podcast is for the guys out there who question the role that alcohol plays in their lives, men who want to stop drinking and don't know where to go or how to start. We're going to cover all of that and more. Let's go. Hi guys and welcome to episode 42 of the Alcohol Rethink Podcast. I've got another incredible guest on with me today. His name's Sam Ortil. I have seen his story around alcohol over the last few months, and I really think it's an incredibly powerful, moving, inspiring journey that I'm delighted to say he's come on today in order to share with us. So by day, he's a mental health instructor and speaker, and I'm joined by him now. Sam, welcome to the show. Oh, Patrick, thank you for having me. Yeah, my absolute pleasure, mate. Like, as I said, as soon as I, I saw some of the things you've been posting recently, I thought, man, I've got to get this guy on. Like, he's, he's been through it. <laughs> he's been through stuff. He's got something to say. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Totally. I'm happy to be here and share whatever I've learned through my journey. No problem at all. Yeah, I really appreciate that. And as I said, I think for all these guys listening, they're going to appreciate it as well. So if you can give us a kind of story background as to what your journey is in as much or as little detail as you feel comfortable sharing. Yeah, I'll, I'll try not to get too deep into details because you'll probably be here for a while. So um, the sort of um, my story began with uh, about a, eight years of struggle with anxiety, uh, pretty severe anxiety, panic attacks, periods of depression, uh, that led me to substance abuse and, you know, almost complete self-destruction and being really close to suicide. So that's the gist of it. Mm. Um, for, you know, for many years, I didn't know that I had anxiety or panic attacks. What was that? I was just self-medicating with alcohol and everything was all right. I was just pretending that everything is good. Um, not my friends, my family, even somebody that I was dated at the moment didn't know what was going on. So I became... Um, master of deception if you will so mm. and and it's not intentionally it was just how i've learned to function you know you you don't know how big your problem is until it in, until it becomes too big so until that moment when i sort of smashed my face in that proverbial rock bottom i didn't actually realize how serious that was and that i need to do something so that's the sort of gist of my story yeah, thank you. So, yeah, like there's some elements of that, that I'd love to kind of explore a little bit further and, and find out. And it's so true, right? Like it it doesn't feel like it's a problem until it becomes a problem. But it yeah. doesn't mean that it was before that point, right? And I yeah. think this is a challenge that not just guys, like, but a lot of people with alcohol is they really have no idea how much dependence, reliance reliant they become on drinking right like yeah. if you're having to use it to go out to events like if you're going out and ha get the designated driver role and you start having a tantrum about it you yeah. know that's a like a little warning sign there for you mm. do you know what i mean <clears throat> or if you see it on thursday night at home by yourself and you drink warm vodka by glasses that might be an indication that you have a problem so <laughs> well yeah so absolutely that was sort of when i where i ended up yeah mm. 
So let's speak about the anxiety for a moment because it's something I've explored on this show before and I I never realized how like anxious I was and when did you begin to realize you were anxious or what what were some of those telltale signs I started having panic attacks and in the beginning I thought you know I was I was not into the sort of personal development stuff I didn't I, I enjoy reading psychology books and stuff like that but like basic knowledge about social psychology uh, never sort of diving deeper into the subject so in the beginning I thought that I had um, problems with my physical health you know um, all of a sudden you your heart goes crazy your blood pressure goes through the roof and your chest gets really tight and you cannot breathe. And you think, wow, what's going on with me? I'm only 20 something. So I started having panic attacks and I didn't realize what was going on. So, you know, I always liked a drink or two or even three or four or four or five, you know? So I just started, started drinking and um, realized that if I have a beer or two, it goes away. So without really exploring that, that was my sort of underlying understanding. You know, I'm going to be a strong man. Man, don't whinge and cry and complain. You just shut up, you man up and keep going. What a stupid idea that was. So I started having, you know, having a few drinks after work, felt a little bit better. So the problem is gone. So you don't seek help. And then, then the cycle continues. You go to work, something happens, you get anxious. You have another panic attack. You think, oh, my God, I, got to, I have to go home and seek for some support. But instead of that, you have a few drinks and everything is hunky-dory again. And you don't search for help again. So slowly that sort of grew. And I've realized there was a problem more with my mental health rather than physical health. When I had a conversation with my friend and she said she had some heart problems that was based in her sort of nervousness. I'm like, huh. Maybe there's something there. And um, I've been to a therapist once, and he helped me understand that I have been suffering from panic attacks. Um, but because we sort of didn't connect, he was a great guy. He had a lot of cool certificates on his wall, but I didn't feel that connection. He probably didn't have a similar journey, so I didn't feel like he was really in my shoes when I was talking. Um, nothing against him. It was just my stuff. Um, so I never went back, but he made me realize that I was suffering from panic attacks. So I started looking for information, for information, sorry. And one of the one of the best sources was a book from uh, Christian Ingham called Panic Attacks. And I've read this book sort of maybe three quarters or halfway through. I go to the point when it says panic attacks are indications that something in your life is not working well. And I stopped reading that book and I started examining what was not working in my life. And I've realized there was a lot of things that didn't work in my life. Um, but it's not as simple as that. I still continued for a few years, you know, going downhill, drinking. Uh, I've been on and off meds, SSRIs, and they help at the same time that sort of fuck you up in a different ways. Mm -hmm. Um, I've mentioned that in my ebook that I wrote. Um, so yeah, it was a bumpy ride. It was a journey, and and uh, I didn't search for proper help or didn't try to like really change something until it was almost too late, and I had no choice. 
Yeah, quite a, quite a bumpy ride indeed, right? And yeah, yeah. what was that moment where you realised, well, it was almost too late, thankfully not? Yeah, so so it started pretty innocently on Friday evening, you know, when you I used to work at the warehouse at that moment. I spent a lot of time working in distribution centres and, and uh, warehouses. Um, so on Friday evening, you sort of want to relax a little bit. On my way home, I think I picked up a bottle of whiskey and started drinking. But it, I can't remember exactly what happened, but it just very quickly got out of hand. And by, I think, excuse me, by, I think, Tuesday or Wednesday, I got to this point where I realized I could not stop drinking. And it started with a bottle of whiskey and a few beers. Got to the point when I had a few bottles. Uh, I'm talking big liter bottles of vodka next to my um, next to my bed. For example, this period of well, four or five days was a mixture of me just being asleep drunk or being blacked out or having a fucking random walk in the middle of like in West London in the middle of the night, you know, and I have uh, sort of some fuzzy memories and some sort of faded memories and some very vivid. So I remember, I, sorry, I remember very vividly, for example, that I woke up one day, sort of midday, and I had a ironing board next to my bed. And on that ironing board was a glass, like a big old fashioned whiskey glass. I poured halfway through with vodka, one vodka, no chaser, down it, only so I can go back to sleep. I get to this point in probably within three days where I just couldn't function without alcohol. And uh, when I woke up, I just had to drink because anxiety and everything, all the physical manifestations of dependency was so bad that I just, I couldn't do anything. I literally... Um, and I get to the point where I just had to give up and not give up in the way that, you know, in my life, although I was really close, uh, give in and realize I do have a problem. And if I don't change something, if I don't do anything about it, it will not end well for me. So I didn't have any of my close friends nearby. My best friends moved up north um, pretty recently to that situation. And so I decided to put myself together and I went to the hospital and this is where everything, you know, started. I, I just sort of, from what I remember, I, I said at the reception that I'm struggling to breathe and I have alcohol poisoning, something along those lines. So all of a sudden, everybody became really concerned. They took it really seriously. I think I started crying on the fucking shoulder of one of the nurses or something. Uh, they put me in the ambulance and sent me to another hospital in North London where I spent half of the night. Um, and, and because that was such a traumatic experience in itself as well, I've decided that if I ever get through this alive, I'll do everything I can to not be back in this situation ever again. And that was probably one of not many promises that I kept to myself in my life. So that was such a such a powerful moment for me, such a low point that I, I it really there was nothing else for me to do. It was do or die. If I if I didn't change something, I would either die of substance abuse, or somebody would probably stab me in the middle of the night when I was just having random walk, half half sort of awake, or I would just take my life because I couldn't bear it anymore. So 
that's how it was. That, that was the moment. Wow. And what was it? So you said to yourself, or you promised to yourself that like, I'm never going back. I yeah. never want this again. Like, do you remember like saying it in the hospital or is it just kind of like a memory of? Yeah. So probably the, the, the turnaround point was, I remember when I spent a lot of time in a hospital, I, I had this imagination. And when I go to the hospital, they'd be like, welcome party, you know, they'll take me in. I spent probably three days. They give me a lot of vitamins, pump me with some goodiness in my, in my bloodstream. You know, I will, I will sort of sober up and off I go home. And luckily none of that stuff happened because probably if it did, I'll just go back to the same habits because there was no consequence in a way. But what happened is I just had to, I had to spend a lot of time in the waiting room, like everybody else. It was a very, very busy day for them. And there, was, there were people who had more serious medical emergencies. So I had to sit there and wait, you know. So I had a lot of time for, um, for thinking. And I remember that after a while, I've been checked medically. Um, they took my blood and all that stuff. And then because I mentioned, I was asked, have you had suicidal thoughts? And said, yes. So they referred me to the psych ward for evalu evaluation. And I remember following a nurse from the waiting room to, um, to the psych ward. And it was, I always described it, it was like a scene from a movie. So we're walking through this dark corridor it was already probably 11 or 12 at night. Yeah. So it was really dark. And the, when you go through the hospital, they usually have a lot of big windows on that corridors. Um, and you, I could see the, the light of the moon coming through. And I felt like she didn't give a fuck about me, you know, not in, in a bad way that she didn't care about me, but like she just wanted to get me there. We didn't talk. Um, so I just had that vibe. She probably had, you know, been at the end of her shift and she just wanted to get him whatever but that was the turnaround moment i'm like this is like a fucking movie scene if i ever get out of here alive i'll never want to be here again and sitting you know in a psych ward with people who have serious mental issues as well i felt a bit out of place you know i have to say that because there was there was quite a few people sitting there one of them was rocking, somebody was talking to themselves, somebody would be just randomly screaming. Um, and I said, this is it. I just have to turn things around or this will not end well for me. Yeah, quite a wake up call. Mm. Sadly, you know, a lot of people have to get to this point before they actually start making changes. That's, that's the sad truth. Um, you don't have to wait. Um, reaching out for help is a good strategy, you know, before it's too late, before you hit that rock bottom and, and lose everything in your life. Um, but sadly for many people like myself, that's, that's something that they need, you know, like a slap in the face from life, you know? Yeah. And from what you were saying, some of the things that prevented you from asking for help was like that man up, bullshit mentality yeah. you know like what what were some other things so you said around your friend not being there perhaps that played an influence yeah it, it's it's a lot of that bullshit you know embarrassment it was you know it was 
2015, so it's quite a few years ago, it was still more stigma around mental health than it is now. And, you know, mm. crazy people go to the psychiatrist or psychologist, you know, when you go to psychiatrist or ask for help, there must be something with you wrong with you. You're crazy, you're this, you're that. So because of all that narrative, I just, you know, now I'm fine. I'm just drinking myself to oblivion, but I'm fine, you know. Mm. that's uh, that's the sort of coping strategy that 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 i've learned and it, it became normal to me which is even more silly um yeah so all that narrative that you know men don't talk about emotions men don't cry uh you know when you talk about your problems that means you're weak all that stuff there was a lot going on yeah yeah it's horrible stuff mate um and i've been through some of those belief systems myself man mm. thankfully i mean even in in so seven short years right since you this happened and you went to hospital like i think there's been a lot of change or there's certainly like it's on its way right and that's evident in your career profession that you're in now right like so like perhaps tell us a little bit about what you're doing is that as a result of your experience or unrelated yeah. Yeah, yeah, sure. A lot of it is. So one of the things that helped me recover and get through the darkest days was every morning I wake up, put my headphones on and listen to a motivational speech just to create a different mindset for the day. So yeah, listen to people like Tony Robbins, Nick Vujic, Les Brown, um, and many, many, many more. But that led me to discovering coaching, right? It was before the massive boom uh, of coaching. Um and I sort of fell in love with this idea that you can have a deep conversation with someone, meaningful conversation, hold a space, ask questions, and facilitate transformation for somebody else. So I've done, I've done, I've done my training course uh, with Danny Mars in London, and I started coaching. And with time, my interest um, grew towards workshops, towards public speaking. And I fell in love with teaching a bit more than I that I did, did like one-to-one -one coaching. So it's sort of looking back at my journey, it all makes sense and it all came together. It's almost like the mental health and the speaking and, and training and, and workshops chose me in a way. Um, so it was more like a natural progression. I get to the point where I realized that a lot of people around me that I knew, probably 75, 80% of people that I knew in my life, had some kind of problems or have had previously some problems. Uh, when I started openly talking about my journey with anxiety, um, three people that I knew from work told me that they tried to take their life. I'm like, I need to fucking do something about it. And I realized how big the power of your story is. It allows other people to open up and be real with themselves and reach for help and share the story with someone else. And that's the beginning of the recovery. So in a way, that was my natural progression. Then I've done some other courses, uh, teaching course and mental health first aid uh, training course. This is what I mainly do now, and I love it. Um, so it was looking back, it, it, it was almost like a natural journey, natural progression to where I am now. Yeah, I was, I was speaking to someone earlier, and there's that Steve Jobs quote around, you can only join the dots looking backwards. Mm, definitely, kind of, yeah. Same, same principle yeah. here, right? Absolutely, yeah. You think, why am I going through this? This is this, blah, 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 this is shit, why am I suffering? 
But actually, if I have never went through all of that, I'll probably be still stuck in the warehouse somewhere, just packing boxes. And there's nothing wrong with that. But comparing to what I do now and how much satisfaction I get from my work, it's two different realities. Mm. Yeah, and, that, and there's one of those questions we ask in coaching, right? Like, how is this happening for me? You know, because yeah. so often it's the the opposite of like, why is this happening to me, right? And it's yeah. just like <laughs> desperation and and, and victimhood. Yeah, exactly, yeah. right. Versus like, well, how or why is this happening for me? Like, what is there for for me to t- take from all of this? And you don't even have to understand right now, right? Like, because back then when you were in hospital and going to the site ward and stuff, like this didn't even exist, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. But even just having that possibility. I think is so incredible. Yeah, being open. Now I believe that everything that happens in my life is teaching me something that I'll need in the future or is preparing me for something that is going to happen to me in the future. Even when something bad happens or something negative, I think, oh my God, not again. Like last year I had a, I had a sort of few events one after another. It was like, not again, not again. And you feel like, oh, I'm going to catch a break now and something else happens. But now I know that it's because I've changed again. I've changed a big chunk of my life. I've moved out. I got my own place now. And that led me to be in much happier and fulfilled place that I am now. So looking back again, it all makes sense. Yeah. And that's one of the things I hear when people are stopping drinking as well is that, you know, life is still life. Like we still have to deal with the good yeah. and we still have to deal with the shit and the bad. And, you know, like when you stop drinking, people can think like well if it's going to be crap or bad like i may as well continue drinking and it's such a you know trap door of a mindset because of course as you as as you described like it just keeps you in that loop constantly so being able to step back and say okay so yes still things are going to come my way but how am i going to approach them and that's part of life, you know, nobody's always happy, nobody have problemless life, ups right. and downs and parts of life and dealing with them, learning to deal with them is part of the journey and understanding and accepting that instead of, you know, hoping that it's all going to be sunshine and rainbows. Yeah. When I started reading first psychology books when I was in, in my teens, like I was probably 16 or 17, I thought the psychologists don't have problems in life. Like legit, that was my belief because they know everything. They know how human works, that how humans think, how humans work. So they must have no problems. And then I realized how much of a bullshit belief that was because knowing and, you know, <laughs> having and going through life is a completely different two things. Yeah. Well, I think even as a coach, sometimes like you can think, yeah, I'm supposed to have everything sorted in my life because yeah. I'm a coach and I'm working with other people, even like as a mental health uh, instructor, right? But no that completely misses the point it's like things still happen but like we give ourselves tools in yeah. how we're going to look at it like there's going to be times where it's appropriate to you, you're going to want to be sad you're going to want to be angry you're going to want to be frustrated right but it's when that becomes like inappropriate in a sense and you start using it against yourself yeah or other people well yeah especially right <clears throat> yeah okay so I just wanted to speak around the the suicide aspect yeah. uh, through like your experience, but also, you know, through the work that you're doing as well, because 
as we know, like statistics show that generally suicide is a lot higher in the male population, or especially here in the UK. Yeah. And a lot of the reason of that we can probably ascertain is to this, you know, man up mentality, big boys don't cry or, yeah. you know, like all of that really, really unhelpful stuff. And, you know, I, I personally lost a, a really good friend, like when I was in my early twenties and I never realized at the time but like looking back now and i see how he was using alcohol like he just was wanting to escape his life so much because he didn't have these tools available to him he didn't we didn't have like the compassion for mental health like mental health didn't even exist 15 years ago i'm pretty sure mm. like it's it feels like a fairly new development or or well thought after anyway so you know if any of you guys are there listening and perhaps you are having suicidal thoughts or, you know, you just notice them, I just want to offer is that it doesn't mean there's anything wrong with you, you know, like nothing. You're going to say oh. there's something, Sam? No, there isn't. And, and the thing is, you know, when I teach people the, 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 first say for mental health courses the, the, and we get to the suicide the, one of the most important things to understand i always sort of underline that is that nobody actually wants to die and nobody wants to end their life people end their life because they don't want to live the life they have and a good good sort of visualization of that would be imagine that you're in a burning building standing on the balcony and you cannot go inside because you're going to burn to death and your option is to jump and end and your life quickly. So that's the representation of somebody who realistically face suicide. The life feels like everything is crumbling into pieces. Everything is burning. And I'm just suffering and I have no help. I cannot get help. I can't get a break. It's just, you know, and you're stuck in that suffering so much that the only option to end your suffering is to end your life. But that's not true. You know, everybody's life matters. Everybody has value as a human. Um, I believe that anybody can, um, with the right support, overcome whatever they're going through and create a different reality. I've met a lot of people, amazing people, that have been even in worse situations than myself. I know somebody who tried to take his life three times and took massive amounts of cocaine and wake up, woke up in a hospital, and now he's... Uh, amazingly inspirational person, a great trainer as well. And, you know, if you imagine losing somebody like that who has such a positive impact on, on people now, it's it's really sad. So I'm really happy that he didn't, you know, that he survived and he's with us. That's one of the examples. But I just want to say, you know, park that option for a while. Park it for now. Not just sometimes... When people try to help somebody through suicide, they try to pull them away from the suicide. Forget about this option. But what I've learned through a suicide first aid is that actually what you can do, which is even better, is, okay, let's keep it as the option. If, you, if you're standing in front of that option, let's keep it. But let's park it for a while and see if potentially we can do something to actually improve your life so you don't have to end it and potentially do something better. So if you're listening and you're facing, if you're really dark place and, and you're facing that choice, give yourself another chance, park it for a while, 
you don't have to dismiss it completely because that may be even the urge become even fucking stronger because that's how we work. We're very rebellious in some sense. Yeah. Park that for a while and have another go. Ask for help. Reach for help. It doesn't mean that you are weak. It actually means that you're very strong because it takes fucking balls to admit that I'm in a bad place and I need fucking help. And I'll tell you that the moment you are really honest with yourself and people around you, the people that care for you, your friends, your family, and potentially other people who might be able to support you, you will see how much help they will fucking offer you. It's amazing, seriously. And then you form those deep connections with people, those deep connections. You realize that your life really matters. It has value, that you have more value for people around you than you thought. So the part of the problem is, I'm thinking that I'm a burden and it's better if I'm not here. You know, I just create problems, always fuck things up and this and that and that and that. And you realize that it's not true. So if you ever find yourself in that place or if you're in that place, dark place now, give yourself another chance. Try to overcome it and ask for help. That That's yeah. what I would, would say, you know, that's, that was my way as well. I just I just thought I'm just gonna give myself one more chance. I always have the option to go back and just, you know, end my life whenever I want. How about if I try again and try to create something different? Yeah, that's wise, wise, powerful words. And it's so true, is I think just even the mere fact of like telling another human being what you're thinking. Yeah can be so relieving because like once it's out of your head you're no longer like having that internal conflict the whole time which is of course like you just you you you, you're like battling raging against yourself about your brain absolutely a lot of it is guilt and shame and i had a lot of internal conflict as well you want to change but you can't you you drink again and then you feel ashamed you're angry at yourself so you drink again because you can't stand it and emotional overload and this and that but you know through coaching yourself that very often we don't have opportunity to actually have a deep, meaningful, meaningful conversation with anyone about what I'm really actually going through. And that's part of the problem. So when, you, when you're sitting with someone who is really in the dark place and you just hold space for them, you just ask open questions and you, really, you are really caring, interested in their journey, in their story and really want to help them, that is a magic sort of moment. You don't have to be a therapist or a psychiatrist. You just have to be human for another human and hold a space and ask questions, be really interested in what they are going through. This is where it all starts. And the other person feels, well, actually somebody wants to listen to what I'm going through. Actually, somebody cares. So that's the beginning of of, of the change, just being there, holding space for someone being interested and allowing them to explore verbally what they're going through. Yeah. Yeah. Enough can't be said for the the power of a, of a deep, meaningful conversation, man. I I, I think it's um, Rich Litvin, you know, he's a, he's a coach. He coaches coaches. He talks about just having a conversation with a lamppost can be powerful. (laughs) You know, like just hearing yourself talk out loud, you know, like it, it really can be such a, 
uh, a cathartic thing to do just to get out of your head. And I often talk about like journaling as well. I think it's an incredibly powerful way, but sometimes with journaling, I think it's like you, it's a reflection of what you're thinking. And it, <laughs> I know when I used to do it in the beginning, like I used to believe everything I was writing. So, you know, like having that other person for a different perspective could be yeah. even more powerful. Yeah, definitely. Mm. Yeah, I agree. Um, I don't journal because I'm terrible with writing. And uh, <laughs> but um, I, I talk to myself a lot as well. So mm. sometimes Out loud or yeah, yeah. Sometimes yeah, I've been shower and I'm doing something around the house, and I instead of just you know thinking and as you say, if it's in your head, you you have this conflict and everything is so tangled up, and I just start talking to myself, you know, and exploring stuff, and um, yeah, it helps. It helps you, you voice everything. All of a sudden, everything that, that was in your head is much clearer and you get to some conclusions. You might have some ideas. Um, so it's really helpful. It might sound really weird, but it does help. Well, yeah, because I think there's that other really unhelpful belief that like the first sign of madness is talking to yourself, right? <laughs> We're just like constantly fucking dealing with all of this bullshit conditioning yeah. we receive growing up and stuff. And, we, you know, like even just challenging some of these belief systems is a, is a great start as well. Yeah. And I believe that we are all a little bit mad. We're all a little bit crazy in our own little way. And I think that's beautiful about humans because that's mm -hmm. what makes you, you, I think um, Robin Williams said that you only have a spark of madness or spark of insanity. You might, you must not lose it. And that's exactly it. We are all a little bit crazy in our own little world. And sometimes we try to, mask it so we have to fit in 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 you know in my corporate yeah. job or this or this environment and and that's how you lose yourself you know keep it cultivated and fucking live your life authentically yeah man like not not conforming to normality because mm. that's what everybody expects of you you know yeah yeah absolutely yeah so finding ways to express yourself i guess would be quite a cool thing to do like what what parts of you are you denying because you're thinking that society won't accept them right mm. yeah totally totally finding ways finding the right people first of all your kind of people your environment if you don't feel like you fit in you're probably spending time with the wrong people and i had this problem most of my life when i felt like an outcast i didn't feel like i could fit in i was just like and then then it sort of chips away um your self-worth and and your self-esteem your confidence because there's have to be something wrong with me because those people don't like me but it might be the case that you're just spending the time with the wrong people and the reality is that not everybody will love you some people don't like you some people will hate you some people love you that's just part of life and that and, and i think it's actually okay that's that's fine just find people that you will get along with, people that will accept you for who you are, people that will love you, and people that you feel really um, good with, that they will feel like family. Yeah, and that's what makes life so interesting is that we do have contrast, right? Because yeah. if everybody liked us all the time, it'd be pretty boring, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, I actually like when somebody dislikes me. It might be, it might be weird. Sometimes... 
if you have a shitty comment on your post, you really you really pour your heart out and you want to offer some support, and somebody say, "Well, it's fucking bullshit," and <laughs> and your first reaction is, "No, how dare you?" Your ego goes, but then for me that drives me. I don't know for some weird reason I love when when there's a little bit of hate on my post, for example, and when it's not just you know people saying how awesome you are, but also somebody saying you know i disagree with this or i don't like your pogs i don't what you're doing it sort of helped me shave the ego a little bit in a way thinking about it so it it, it does drive me yeah that having that contrast as you say having that contrast allows you to have the full picture of what's going on in your life and who you are and what you're doing. So you have a more realistic picture and that's how you can move forward in the world. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it goes back to what we were saying not long ago about like, how is this happening for me? Like there's, there's yeah. lessons to learn in everything, right? <laughs> Post Absolutely. on Facebook relationship with alcohol, like whatever yeah. it might be. Totally. Awesome. I think I, I think that every situation offers um, us some learning and some experience that we can use later in life. Nice. So before we wrap up, a couple of things. Like one, I just like I mean, we've I think we've offered quite a lot of of different ways that guys can start to be kinder to themselves in a sense right like to just have compassion for where they are right now like to recognize like if they're, if they're having suicidal thoughts if they're like just feel like hopeless and and beating themselves up it's like it's okay to be where you are right like just firstly just being in that stage of acceptance yeah and then it then you can begin to start looking you know like what else is available for me here like how do i get out of this story that i'm in effectively because that's what keeps recreating the the results that they get in their lives right any other things or tips advice tools that you would offer for someone in their journey to stopping drinking or rethinking alcohol yeah so for example there's a, the, the saying goes um the quickest way to get rid of addiction is to replace it with another one and it was with a pinch of salt but there is some truth with that so if you stop drinking for example find something that will keep you occupied something that will keep you busy for example i started going to the gym regularly and that was my that was my coping mechanism because drinking is nothing more or less it's a coping strategy unhealthy one yeah when, when there's something underlying so find something more positive that you can replace drinking with something that will be healthy for you um, very often you will have to change the environment the problem is that a lot of people go well all my friends drink well maybe you need a new social circle and this is what the problem is they cannot see them cutting the ties with the friends that they've been drinking for five years or family member well think about what's more important your life or, or a few people that just want to get drunk every day so for a while, you might have to separate yourself from the group and find a new group that will help you cultivate new lifestyle and new coping strategies. Um, I would also say if you're dependent or any substance, substance, don't wait for somebody to come and save you. And a lot of people think, what do you mean? Nobody will help me. No, it's not the same. There's plenty of people that will help you, but 
if you just wait, like myself, I waited until somebody would come and wave a magic wand and change my life. And all of a sudden, everything will be beautiful. It's never going to happen. You have to, as you say, accept, make a decision that you want to change and reach out for help. And there'll be plenty of people to help you. But it's it's more about empowering yourself. Actually, I want to change and I'm going to do it no matter who I have to ask for help. So from my standpoint, it's more empowering message. Don't wait for somebody to come and save you. Just, the reality is nobody, nobody's coming. And if, even if somebody offers you help, no matter how many people want to change your life, until you want to change, nothing will change, right? So you have to be there as well. You have to realize that there will, it will require some effort from you as well. Um, and one more thing is finding the root cause of your addiction is a good idea as well. Because you, you drink, you're drinking to hide something, to help you deal with something, to potentially mask something to distract yourself from something. So finding the root cause and, and focusing on dealing with that is also a good idea. Yeah, love that. Some great tips and advice there. Thank you, Sam. All right, final question. And that is, what does it mean to be radically human? For you? Question I have to say. So, uh, for me, being radically human means understanding that we are very strong and weak at the same time. Mm -hmm. It's understanding that each and every one of us has the capability to do really good things in the world, but also has the potential to do a great evil. It's about understanding that we all have ups and downs, that life is not just sunshine and rainbows, and we all have challenges. Um, it's understanding that we are all social creatures and we need connection with other people. We need the sort of support network for various reasons. Um, I would say that being radically human is being perfectly imperfect. That's how I see it. Yeah, love it. Kind of like snap fits into our theme of today's call about the contrast, right? <laughs> you know, yeah. beautiful. Absolutely. And I think when we understand and accept that, you know, every human has this part, you know, I want to do something good and I'm, you know, I feel like I want to kick somebody, you know, in, in the leg. At the same time, you just part being human and accepting that without judgment will help you live a life without so many internal conflicts. So we're mo moving now into the area of shadow self, which I absolutely am in love with. But, um, yeah, just accepting that life has and being human has a lot of dichotomy in it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Well, Sam, if anybody wants to hear more from you, get in contact, like where would they go? How do they get in touch? So you can find me on LinkedIn everywhere. I'm on social media. I'm Sam Ortel. So I'm usually uh, on LinkedIn, uh, Instagram and Facebook. You can find my website, samortel.com. You can send me an email, uh, info at samortel.com. It's all very samortel. <laughs> um, so, so you can find me on social media pretty much everywhere if you want to get in touch.
Perfect. All right. And I will drop all of your details in the show notes below. So any of you guys want a quick way of finding him, just check out the show notes. All right, Sam, it's been an absolute privilege having you on, mate. I really appreciate you coming and like giving us your raw, honest, authentic account of what's happened and some really super useful ways to kind of get back in touch with yourself and to start empowering. Thank you very much. I really enjoyed uh, having a conversation and um, I hope it will be, uh, I will, I hope it will have a positive impact on, on your listeners. I I 100% believe it will, dude. All right. Thanks a lot for listening, guys. Take care. See you again soon. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. If you want to find out more about working with me and seeing how I can help you stop drinking and start showing up in life the way that you really want, visit patrickjfox.com to find out more or book a free consultation using the link in the show notes. Until next time, take care.